All right, let's open our Bibles to the, to the book of Matthew. Matthew. We did a very quick study uh, in the book of Ezra, and, I, and I, uh, I think it's an exciting book to read. They returned from the captivity. They returned to Jerusalem, and, uh, you know, they were going to rebuild the temple, first of all, and then they were going to rebuild the wall in the time of Nehemiah. So it's just this idea of going back in and, and uh, fighting the good fight and continuing on despite the opposition that they faced, despite the battles that they faced. They, they had to get in there and, and, and carry on. And then we, we saw that Ezra was a teacher of the word and they needed the word to be uh, prominent in, in their life and worship. And then last week we looked at this idea about what revival, that the revival that came to the people there in the time of Ezra and also in the time of Nehemiah and how it, you know, it's really all about a, a broken and contrite heart, a broken and contrite spirit that we, we are broken and humbled before God. And that's where true revival always, always, always begins. It's never in pride. It's never in, you know, just excitement and all that. Sometimes those things come out of it, but it always begins with humbling oneself, humbling ourselves and our hearts broken over our sin. Matthew, I had you turn to Matthew because it's a new year and it's, uh, uh, we have a new home. So, um, and I t- decided this a long, long time ago that I wanted to do Matthew. A new book, right? Um, new Testament, a lot of new things. So I want to look at Matthew. Look at verse 1, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. It says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's about as far as we're going to get reading in Matthew. Now, we, we did Ezra, like, that's 10 chapters in Ezra. I did the math here. Um, we did it in four sessions, right? Um, so Matthew has 28 chapters. So we can do that in about 11 weeks, right? Well, we can try. We can do one one today, right? Are, are we in a hurry, though? Do we have to be in a hurry? Matthew is like an incredible book. Matthew, I've never done a study in Matthew, and, and I'm, I'm excited about it. I was, as, this week, I just want to do like a, an introduction, really. And, uh, and, and open it all up for us. But some people think and some people believe that it's the most read book in all the world. In all the world. And the reason, uh, you know, I was thinking about this. The reason is because, well, first of all, the Bible is the best-selling book in all the world. It, it just is. And, you know, when people begin to read the Bible, a lot of them go to the book of Matthew and they just start there. Now, the sad truth is, is a lot of people, they start in the book of Matthew and then they never get any further than the book of Matthew. Maybe that's why it's the most read book, because that's the only book that they've actually started and, and carried on to read. But I, as I've said many, many, many times, um, get started somewhere, but don't stop. If you come up to things like in the first chapter, and we're not even going to look at it today, this genealogy, and maybe some people, they, they read that and they go, wow, I don't understand any of that, so I'm not going to even bother to try to read the Bible. I'll listen to, you know, the radio station. I'll listen at church and, and that. But, but, but don't let anything stop 
you and me from, from getting into God's word and just opening up. Ezra opened the book. He opened the book and, and stuff began to happen in his own life and in the lives of the people around him. You've got to open the book. So, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and, and you know, the word gospel means what? It means good news. And so it's, it's one of the four gospels, as we all know, just as some basic stuff here, just to kind of lay a little foundation. It's one of the four gospels, one of the four books of good news. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and, and why do we have four gospels? Why don't we have ten? Why don't we have just one? Well, these, these are the books that God has seen fit to give to us, and, and we have more than one, I believe, so we can kind of get a, a, you know, a multifaceted picture of who Jesus is, uh, kind of a, you know, four different portraits of, of this man Jesus that we say, you know, that we love and that we adore and follow and, and worship. So we have these four portraits of Jesus and four different facets, four angles, and, and you know, how these all kind of give us you know, a composite picture of who Jesus is. They all have kind of different, uh, a different focus, each one, written by different people and from different walks of life. And that's true of the whole Bible, of course, but um, I can hear my heart beating. This thing is like right over my heart. No, I'm just kidding. I thought I could, actually. I wasn't kidding. I'm going to step back because I'm getting scared now. So you got these four pictures anyways. You've got Matthew. Matthew, uh, as we'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes, uh, talk a little bit more about Matthew was what? What was his job in life? He was a tax collector. He then became one of the 12 apostles. and he was, So he was an eyewitness to Jesus and his life. And Matthew kind of wrote to the Jewish people. And we can still, just because we're not, you know, maybe we're not Jewish, we, it doesn't mean we can't understand uh, what he's writing. But Matthew's theme, and we're going to come back to this in a, a few minutes, is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is Matthew's theme. Now Mark, on the other hand, Mark was a companion of Peter. We don't really know if he had any kind of trade. It never really says anything about that. But Mark was a companion of Peter. So his, his kind of emphasis, he kind of got everything that he knew from Peter. He wasn't an eyewitness. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't hanging out with Jesus there in the beginning like Matthew was. But he was hanging out with Peter, and, and you kind of get that, you know, that, that flavor when you read Mark. It kind of fast-moving and kind of jumps out at you, just like Peter, kind of impulsive and kind of always on the move. Mark's theme uh, speaks about Jesus, kind of the servant king. Now, Luke, on the other hand, we know what he did. What did he do? He was a physician. And, and, but Luke, now, he was a companion of Paul. So he hung out with Paul. And, and uh, Paul wasn't one of the original 12 apostles. But Paul did see Jesus. He had an experience with Jesus Christ. And um, obviously, God anointed him to, to teach incredibly. So Luke kind of, you know, gathered all these things together and, and he, you know, had the, the teaching of Paul and he wrote to the Greeks and his theme was the son of, Jesus was the son of man, that he was fully man, that he came and he was here and he ate and he, he lived amongst us. 
And the fourth one, on the other hand, was John. And what did John do, John do for a living? Fisherman. He was a fisherman. And he was also one of the 12 apostles. So he was also an eyewitness. So you've got these two eyewitnesses. You've got uh, two others that were companion, companions of, of one who was an apostle and one who was a later apostle. And John's theme was Jesus, the Son of God. When you look at it, you kind of see that jumps out in this gospel. John spoke about Jesus being the Son of God. So you have Matthew, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus the king. Mark, Jesus the servant king. Luke, Jesus, the Son of Man, and John, Jesus, the Son of God. Kind of gives us a whole, a whole uh, you know, picture, a portrait of who Jesus is. So we're looking at Matthew, and we're going to study Matthew in the next uh, 11 weeks or so. But Matthew, Matthew is, is interesting because Matthew is kind of like a bridge book between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're not really sure whether Matthew was written first. It's not really very clear. They didn't put dates down when they wrote because, you know, they just didn't do that. It may not have been the first book, but it, it became to be the first gospel. And I think this is the reason why, because it bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament period ended, and there was like a period of how many years? Anybody know? 400. Like 400 years in between. And, but there were all these prophecies, you see, and, and Matthew, Matthew is full of Old Testament references and quotations. That's why, we, that's why they believe he was writing to Jews, because he was speaking of all these prophecies. And, and they had some 76 references, and then add to that another 53 quotations from the Old Testament. That's a lot. So he had this, he had this emphasis on the fact that Jesus, the king, fulfilled all these prophecies. We, we know that uh, Isaiah spoke about the fact that the virgin would be with child. We, we read about that at the, at the uh, time of Christmas. He spoke about that. Uh, in the book of Micah, he prophesied about the fact that the Messiah would come to a, a, a little town called Bethlehem. He wrote about that. Psalm 22 speaks about the crucifixion. Many aspects of the crucifixion, he, he brings them out. Psalm 16 about the resurrection, Matthew brings them out. He, 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 this idea of fulfilled prophecy, that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies was important to him. So it kind of, re, it, it, like I said, it bridged the gap between this Old Testament time and the New Testament time. Matthew uh, uh, bridged the, the gap of these 400 years and, and brought Jesus uh, right up to the forefront as the king. Now, let's get back to, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 for a, for a moment. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and we'll just read a little bit about him. Matthew doesn't talk a lot about himself. It's interesting, you read the Gospel of John, and John throws in all these things about himself. Some of them are kind of hidden or veiled, but he's always talking about himself. Not always, but he talks frequently about himself. Matthew really doesn't talk very much about himself at all. So we don't know a whole lot about him. And, and again, different personalities act differently, speak differently, write differently. But these, these different writers of the Gospels, uh, obviously the, the Holy Spirit was uh, leading them as to uh, in the writing of these books for you and for me. It says in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. 
And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Kind of spit out those words. And on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Matthew, written by this guy who was a tax collector, and and you kind of get the flavor of the fact that tax collectors were not very popular people. I mean, they're probably still not very popular, right? I mean, April 15th comes around, and, and, you know, you're not, like, really happy with the tax collector and the tax situation. But, But I think it was even more so back then because... These guys, they had a little more um, freedom. They, they weren't, you know, they, they weren't told by Congress uh, how much tax needed to be. They could actually make up, they, they, what happened was, you know, they paid Rome for the right to collect taxes from their own people. And, and so that they had to collect so much, but they could then add on top of that pretty much whatever they could get away with whatever they could add to it, whatever kind of commission to their collection. And most of these guys became very wealthy. Why? Because they were just, you know, taking advantage of the people. And so they weren't liked very much at all. The people, the Jewish people especially, they, they felt that they were, you know, like working for the enemy because they worked for Rome. The Jewish people didn't want to, um, you know, they didn't want to be under the, 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 uh, the government of Rome. They wanted their own government. And we'll talk about that in a minute, about the, what, what they were waiting for. So um, if you think about guys like Zacchaeus, he was also a tax collector, and he was, says he was very wealthy. They were seen as like swindlers, dishonest, extortioners. But what I, when I began to think about this guy, Matthew... And who he was and what he then became, it struck me. Matthew, this tax collector, became one of the 12 apostles, one of the, one of the guys that, that hung out with Jesus, who then wrote these words for you and I to read some 2,000 years later to find out about who Jesus Christ is. He took a tax collector you could kind of insert whatever you wanted there about, you know, people in society. He took a, a such and such and he made something good out of him. And, and, and the reason he did that and the, the reason how he did that was that Matthew yielded to the kingdom of heaven. As I said, this, this idea of the kingdom of heaven is the main theme of this book. And we see that Matthew, and, and maybe this is one of the ideas about him you know, not mentioning himself much, he yielded to the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus said to him, we just read it here, he said, follow me, he did. Luke added to this that he left everything and followed him. He left everything. He said, you know what, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to follow him completely and totally. He left it all. What, thinking about it, what was his king? Who was his king before this? Money. He worked for Caesar, but Caesar wasn't his king. 
His king was money, profit, commission, whatever I can get. He's following the kingdom of this world. It says in Ephesians that, that speak, Paul was speaking. He said that we used to live. We followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We used to follow those ways, but, but we, there's been a change. Something happened. There's been a different king. There's been a different ruler. There's been a different master than what there was before. He now had a new king. He had a new kingdom. And it was the kingdom of heaven. That's what changed this man's life. That's why he wrote so much about it. That's why it came up so many times. The word kingdom is used like 150 times in the New Testament. 50 of them are in Matthew. 50, that's one third of of all the uh, uses of the word kingdom are are in the book of Matthew. The, The kingdom was so important to him. The kingdom of heaven, which by the way is also the synonymous with the kingdom of God. He just liked, he preferred using the the name kingdom of heaven. He did use the kingdom of God uh, a few times as well, though. We just read, and I kind of like this. We'll get back to this when we get to chapter 9. But I I like this where it says that Jesus told him to follow him, and he got up and followed him. And where did he go? Where did Jesus go? To his house. Follow me, Jesus said. And Jesus went back to his house. That's kind of radical when you think about it. Jesus wants to come to your house, to my house, and, and us following him doesn't mean we just follow him to church and we follow him, you know, out on the streets preaching the gospel or we follow him, you know, to, on a missions trip to Nicaragua or, or India or Israel or wherever we might go. He, he leads and we, he, we follow him and he goes back to our house. He wants to work in our homes. Oh, wait a minute. No, I, that's not part of the deal. I just, I just want to be, you know, go to church, follow you to church. And then when I go home, I do my own thing. He says, no, wait a minute. See, when Matthew, when Matthew realized this, he, he knew there was a radical thing and he was going to follow him. And no matter where he went, I, you know, there's a new kingdom here. There's a new ruler. There's somebody else that's in charge now. Not the dollar, not me. I mentioned earlier the... Uh, this this book written to Jews and they were they were expecting a kingdom though weren't they? It's uh, you know common knowledge they were they were they did not like Roman rule at all and they were waiting for a kingdom and they're waiting for Messiah to come Messiah the one who would be the answer to it all. But the kingdom that Jesus came to bring at least the first time was not a political kingdom. They were waiting for a political kingdom, a new, a, a new king to come in and, and you know, release them from the shackles of Rome. They're waiting for that, and so Jesus comes along, and, and that's why at times they, it says they would try to take him. At one point, they tried to take him by force and make him be this political king that they wanted him to be. And he just walked away. It's not a political kingdom, is it? What kind of kingdom is it? What kind of kingdom is this kingdom of heaven? This kingdom of God. It's way deeper than that, isn't it? Jesus said in John 18, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. So, so what kind of kingdom is it? And how does that affect to you and me? What kind of kingdom is it? 
Well, I think it's clear when we really begin to, to understand it, it's a kingdom of the heart, isn't it? It's a kingdom of the heart. The rule of heaven in the hearts of people. Jesus said in Luke, he says, the kingdom of God is where? Is within you. Jesus' first recorded sermon was this. It says, from that time on, we'll read it later in Matthew uh, chapter 4. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It wasn't some political kingdom that he was going to set up, but it was something that was going to happen, and it had to happen right within their own hearts. It happens in my heart. It happens in your heart. It's not an easy thing to deal with, though, is it? And I, and I struggle with it, and I, and I deal with it, too. And, 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 I, and, I, and I believe that it's a process, too. I think we make this, we make this step towards Christ, and we, we, we allow Him into our lives, but I think it's a lifelong process of yielding more and more to Him. Or, or we could go the other way, where we, we give our lives to Christ, and then we start to take it all back, and, and, then, and then we are the kings in our own lives and hearts. But I think, the, I think the true way it should be is that we become more and more yielded to Jesus Christ the longer that we are believers in him. And he, be, and, he, and he again takes more and more of that rule and reign in our hearts. It's here. It's near. It's right here today, the kingdom of heaven. We don't see him in charge of, of you know, the, 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 the state of Rhode Island, but, but his kingdom is near and it's right here today. For you and for me, if we're willing to allow him to be the king, humble ourselves. I mentioned last week that, you know, the, the guy who, you know, who was praying, you had the, the, the self-righteous guy praying, and then you had the, the guy who humbled himself. But one thing I didn't mention was that he was a tax collector, it says. It says he, in Luke chapter 18, he says, the tax collector stood at a distance. It says he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He, he humbled himself. He humbled himself before the Almighty God. Someone said this, and I like this. Listen, he says, people make up a kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is from above. The citizens of the kingdom are on earth. The authority of the king must be accepted by the human heart. The authority of the king must be accepted by the human heart before one can enter the kingdom. It's a kingdom of the heart. But we have, to, we have to let him be the king. We have to accept him as the king. We have to realize that there's going to be a change. There's got to be something that changes. There's got to be a, a difference in, in ownership, a difference in rulership, a difference in who's in authority. I mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that, you know, from a very, very young age, we don't want anybody to be over us. Why is that? I don't know. Is that part of the sinful nature? I, I don't know. But, you know, you're not the boss of me is basically what you hear as a parent. From, from like very, very, very young. They don't even know how to speak words, you know. My little granddaughter, she doesn't know how to speak words, but I can see her saying, saying those words to her parents, to anybody around. You're not the boss of me. I can do this. The word is no. Do it anyways. You're not the boss of me. 
I don't want anybody to be over me. I don't want to be, you know, we struggle against this in our jobs. We struggle against this in our relationships. We don't want anybody to be, we don't want a boss to tell us what to do. We don't like the word boss. But the idea of the kingdom of heaven is that someone is going to be a boss over us and that he is the boss. He's the king. A king is in charge, right? We're, we, in our country, we, we haven't had a king for a long time, right? Like how long? Never. This country was founded, right? Because we didn't want to be under the king of England. Well, I mean, that's a pretty simple version. I mean, John knows the history much better than I do, but... But the truth is, it was, you know, we don't, wanna, we don't want to have somebody telling us what to do. And so we, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on that, on, you know, here in Rhode Island on top of the, uh, the state house is what? The independent man, the statue. Some of you that don't, aren't from Rhode Island, on top of the state house, there's a statue of a guy up there and he's called the independent man because we don't need anybody, we don't want anybody over us. I can do it. Even in England now, you know, uh, and we lived in Eng- England for a few years, and, and you know, you have a, a, a monarchy, but really they don't do anything. There's no, there's no reality to it. They're just figureheads. They don't, there's, they don't really have any power. It's more of a social kind of thing. So we don't really kind of have this concept, but, but you know, to have a king means that they are sovereign. They, are, they, can, they have complete and total uh, decision-making process. The truth is there's only one king that is going to be a good king. There's good kings and there's bad kings. There still are some places that have kings, right, in the world. And some of them are really good kings and some of them are really bad kings. Some of them are, are just plain dictators and, you know, they may not be called kings, but that's what they want to be. And they have this thirst and lust for power, and, and they abuse it. So there really is, ultimately, there really is only one good king, and that is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's a king that we can trust, that he's never going to abuse us. He's never going to take advantage of us. He's never going to, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, because for sake of power, prove to us that he's the king. He's never going to do any of those things. He's a good king. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. A couple more passages before we wrap this up. John chapter 3, the kingdom of heaven. In verse 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus and was speaking to him. He came at night. And he wanted to know, like, what is it all about? We know he says, you're a teacher. You're doing miraculous things. God is with you. But, like, what is, what is it all about? He, he wanted to truly understand. And Jesus said to him in, in John 3, 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit 
gives birth to spirit. There's a birth. There's a new birth that takes place, and it's a birth of the heart. That, that first of all, it allows us to even see, and then it allows us to enter. There's a, a spiritual thing that happens uh, uh, within us that opens our eyes to see that the kingdom of God and then allows us to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's this thing called the new birth. It's this thing called being born again, which a lot of people don't understand because they, you know, they, they oh, you're one of those born agains and they, they make some kind of joke out of it. And then they'll tell you that they're a Christian in the next breath. Well, that's, that doesn't make, make any sense because Jesus said to be a Christian, you have to be born again or you're not a Christian. You're not in the kingdom of God. Flesh give gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit there's it's a spiritual it's a spiritual thing that happens it's a kingdom of the heart it happens in the heart has it happened in your heart has it happened in my heart that's the number one question the first question we need to ask have we been born again by the spirit of god to see the kingdom and then to enter into the kingdom of god it's got to start there, and it's got to start right here in our hearts by the Spirit of God within us. And then lastly, I want, to, I want you to turn back to Matthew, and we'll finish with this passage here. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We, we need to be born again to see and to enter the kingdom of God. We, we, we need to understand by God's Spirit that I think it's God's spirit that allows us to see and to understand and to know that he is a good king and that we can safely entrust our lives to him. We can safely allow him to make decisions for our lives. So that's the first step, but then it kind of goes on from there, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier that it's this process. There, you know, it, it, it doesn't just stop there, though. You don't just enter into the kingdom of God and then you're in. And that's all there is. It's a daily life in relationship in the kingdom of heaven that he is the king, that he is in charge. And that's what, he, and that's what Jesus says right here in, in verse 33, chapter 6, verse 33. He says this, Seek first his kingdom. He's talking about all the needs in life and the, the worries that we have and, and what are we going to eat and what are we going to wear, what are we going to drink. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself and each day has enough trouble of its own. If we seek first his kingdom, knowing that he's a good king, that he cares, that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to meet the needs that you and I have, it's part of like the very fiber of, of, of uh, who we should be in terms of we're always, we're always like talking to him about it. We're always like asking him, Lord, you're in charge here. Lord, what should I do? Lord, where should I go? Lord, uh, you know, how does this work out? Lord, I don't know how to deal with this. Can you help out here? You're the king. You're the king. 
Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. He says all these things will be added. He goes on to say, don't worry. What happens when we don't seek him first? What do we do? We worry. Well, I don't know how this is going to work out. What can I do to make it better? How can I get in there and change things? He says, tomorrow will worry about itself. But if you, if you look at me and, and see that I'm the king, you talk to me first. Talk to me first, not everybody else. Talk to me first. See me, the king. These things will work out. You know, I, 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 know, I know this up here, don't you? I know this up here. But I don't always do that, though. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things are going to work out. They're going to come together, but, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not always doing that down here. I know it up here, but I don't do it down here. Where I say, God, you're the king. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to put this back in your hands. Like I said, we, we begin to, to take back at times that place of authority that, that he has as the king, as the ultimate, the good king, the best king the only king, the king of our hearts. But to be, to, to be in this process where we're, we're yielding more and more of our lives to him. God, help us to do that. Matthew, the tax collector, he was changed by the kingdom of heaven. He was changed by the king. He was radically changed. So the question for you and for I is, is, is who sits on the throne? Who sits on the throne? Who's on the throne right now? Who's on the throne when we go home today? Who's on the throne when we go back to work tomorrow? Who's in charge? Is it just a Sunday king? Maybe a Wednesday Bible study king? Or is he a seven-day? There's a group, I think, called Seven-Day Jesus. Is he a seven-day king? 24-7, he's the king, he's in charge. He's, he's the one we look to, we, we ask, we talk to. Have we left all like Matthew didn't to follow him? In the book of Colossians, Paul says this, that, that he, that is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's rescued us from the, the kingdom, this dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of His Son. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, <clears throat> we just want to take a moment and, and kind of quietly think about these words that we're called to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and all the rest will work out doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we seek you first. We find out what you want. God, I confess that so many times I, 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 don't even, I don't even have a thought about what you want. I just do what I think. So I pray you'd help me, and I pray you'd help each one of us to be more like Matthew, where he realized the kingdom of heaven is the only way to go. He brought those friends of his to meet the new king in his life. The other tax collectors, the other sinners. 
to introduce them to the new king that he had. Lord, we pray that we would also be willing to let others know there's, a, there's another king, there's another kingdom. It's the kingdom of the heart. And we submit and we humble ourselves before you, the good king, the loving king, the gracious king, the all-wise king, the only true king in our lives and in this world, in this universe. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we?